Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. And if I sound overly cheery for a guy who covers a team that just had their season ended in pretty brutal fashion at the hands of the Utah Jazz, it's because I'm not sad that it ended. I'm happy that it happened. And that's going to be the theme of this abbreviated version of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Again, I am Joe Mullinax, the site manager of SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com and the host of this wonderful podcast. Before I bring on my guests for this episode, I do want to shout out the GBB Podcast Network. That's Core 4, 3, and D, uh, and Starting 5. You can subscribe to the GBB Podcast Network, all three of those shows, plus GBB Live on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iHeart, on Google, on Apple, basically any place that you can get a podcast, you can get the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network and, of course, GBB Live, the flagship show here on the network. Uh, ways to get in touch with the show, you can follow me on Twitter if you want to make that terrible life choice, at Joe Mullinax. You can follow our blog, SBNationsGrizzlyBearBlues.com, at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow our podcast, GBB Live, at GBB Live, and you can follow my wonderful co-host back from a GBB Live sabbatical of sorts these last couple of weeks. Uh, GBB associate editor, co-host of the Core Four, man who is about town with, with all the different things he's been doing of late, Mr. Parker Fleming. Parker, how are you doing, sir? You know, just kind of like how you said, I, I'm a little, I have a little more pep in my step for a, a guy that's covering a team that just had their season ended last night. In pretty uh, convincing one, fashion. There was no accident. Yeah. No, they, no, they, they no. made it very clear. Yeah. And, you know, just seeing and hearing like Coach Jenkins and John and Jaron and Dylan kind of be a little more upbeat in yesterday's uh, or last night's Zoom call kind of helps a little bit. But yeah, sorry for the little uh, hiatus there. Just life's crazy, you know? And it is. I, I've been very busy, but glad to be back on GBB Live here. I can relate to that for sure. It's been a crazy time for me as well. And it's been a crazy time over at GBB. It's been a crazy year. Uh, and I think everybody can relate to that. So I'm glad you're back with me here, Parker. And I'm glad that we're joined on this episode. Again, a little bit shorter than normal because of the fact that it's also new. And there's certainly going to be plenty of stuff to discuss in the weeks and months ahead as the Grizzlies are now officially entering their offseason. Uh, but we're joined by somebody who I, I couldn't have thought of anybody better to join us on this kind of an episode, because aside from Parker, uh, in terms of covering the team for us at GBB, there's one other person who has done it as much, and he is actually the guy that was in the building for games three and four of this series. He's the other associate editor over at grizzlybearblues.com, my other right-hand man, uh, Mr. Brandon Abraham, at BC Abraham on Twitter. Brandon, how are you doing, sir? How are you feeling now that you have the opportunity to kind of take a look back on what this season was? Again, it's still all pretty new, but at the same time, when it, things end, it's natural to reflect. Joe, I don't know if I've ever been this excited you know, following a four-game losing streak. I mean, it's, sure. it, it, it's kind of crazy, but just, you know, watching the Grizzlies over, you know, I mean, really the past few weeks, um, if you want to get specific game-wise, like the past eight games, it's just been almost impossible to not be excited despite, you know, the last four games not going their way. Well, and let's start with games three and four, because obviously the last time that I was on the the uh, GBB podcast network, we were talking about 
previewing, uh, I had James Hansen of SLC Dunk on the last show, and we previewed games three and four in Memphis. And I said incorrectly that I would be surprised if the Utah Jazz took both games in Memphis. And I guess I was riding the high of what they were able to do in game one. I was not fully accounting for just how dominant Donovan Mitchell has become because he was that big of a difference for the Utah Jazz. He's essentially reached an MVP plane, and I don't think that he is better than Nikola Jokic right now or Joel Embiid or Steph Curry in terms of the season that he had. But I do think, Brandon, that Donovan Mitchell, and you saw him live and in person for two games, I think that he has come to the place in terms of importance that he is clearly the MVP of that Utah Jazz team. Like, I think that the Jazz still would have won the series against Memphis if Rudy Gobert had been out because you have Derek Favors. They, they have other ways that they could have tried to replicate what Gobert does. And Gobert is extremely important to their defense, but the way that the Jazz play offensively, it may not have mattered as much. And the Grizzlies had some offensive success in this series against Gobert. They just weren't able to make threes at the same clip that the Jazz were. The impact of Mitchell on the Utah Jazz, especially offensively, like I said, I'm not saying he's better than the guys that are current MVP candidates, but in terms of his importance to this team, you could argue that he is almost as important, if not as important, as a Jokic, uh, MB, or an MB, a Curry, uh, to their respective teams as Mitchell is to the Jazz. And you saw that firsthand. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... Um, kind of watching, you know, kind of like how we watched our the young Grizzlies grow in this series. It was, you know, we got to see bubble Donovan Mitchell a little bit. Um, and you know, there's been a lot of talk throughout the playoffs of you know the Mickey Mouse ring, you know, bubble frauds, things like that. Donovan Mitchell proved that what he did in the bubble last year, that's who he is going forward. Um, you know, he's. He's the key cog to the Jazz offense, um, you know, whether it's scoring, facilitating, or just the threat of him being on the floor, taking so much attention. Um, Donovan Mitchell was unreal. Um, I mean, I had to check the box score a few times to see if he'd even missed a shot because it just felt like he w was hitting everything. Um, it, it just felt like every shot he took was going in. Um you know, he had Dylan Brooks in defensive hell trying to guard him in the pick and roll and um, counting his fouls along the way. Um, I, I was very impressed with uh, Donovan Mitchell's performance uh, the last four games. And the interesting thing about Donovan Mitchell and Parker, I'll bring you back in on this. The, the interesting thing about uh, Spida, as he's so affectionately called, is when I watch him play, what makes him a tough defensive assignment for Dylan Brooks and for pretty much anybody isn't the fact that he has some long, lanky frame. Because again, he's, I think, six foot four. He, he's not, he's essentially like a, a, he's essentially like Desmond Bain in terms of the way that he's built. He's a little bit shorter than Desmond Bain. But what makes Mitchell unique, Parker, is the fact that he's so freaking strong. I think he's something like 230 pounds. That's a running back. Like he is the size of a legitimate NFL running back. And the strength that he plays with, I'm not sure at that position. Like Dylan Brooks isn't as strong as Donovan Mitchell. He's just not. 
And the physical strength, the ability to get to the rim, the ability to use that frame that he has, that size, again, musculature-wise, to me, that's what makes him such a tough guard for the Grizzlies. They, as much as the Jazz had no one that could defend Jaw, and they didn't. You know, last night, uh, the Game 5 loss, the one that eliminated the Grizzlies, was really the first time that the Jazz had some success keeping Jaw out of the paint. And that was five games into the series. So I think as much as Utah struggled defending Jaw, Memphis has no one that can defend Donovan Mitchell because of what he brings to the table, not just in terms of athleticism and explosiveness, but his physical strength. Do you agree that that's really what stood out to you watching that game? Because that's what really jumped out at me and the series at large is just how he is like an NFL running back. And when you're trying to stop that from getting downhill at the NBA level, if you're not as physically strong, it's going to be impossible for you to stay in front of that guy. Right. And I'm actually looking at his basketball reference page right now to double check, but he's six one and two fifteen. So literally he's built like a running back uh, when he factor in like his explosiveness at the basket, his strength. And I think one of the biggest ways that, especially that he showed in his postseason, what he showed in the past is just his improvement as a pull-up shooter, a volume three-point shooter, and a playmaker. He's just a very tough cover. And and I know Dylan Brooks is going to get a lot of shade and stuff for uh, the defensive um, effort, not effort, but performance against Donovan Mitchell. But like you said, it's a tough matchup for him because at 6'1", with Dylan being like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, that's like a different level of like kind of gravity like when it comes to like getting a low center of gravity that you have to cover and make up for and uh, he's really grown as that pull-up shooter I mean there was he ISOed Jonas poor Jonas last night to where he just stopped there with three seconds left and did that like little like Kyrie game seven shot against him and there was just nothing you can do about it uh, he's really one of the more talented young players that honestly nobody ever really talks about because people are obsessed with Rudy Gobert's defensive metrics, but he's just a game changer for that team. And when you have to factor in also the attention that Conley and Ingles and Bogdanovich and O'Neal require, as well as a guy like Rudy Gobert, and I'm, I'm, as much as people joke about it, he sets brutal screens. Like there's only so much that Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies could do when covering Donovan Mitchell because of his strengths, but also the strength of that team as well. The thing about the Jazz is the only way that you can really stop them is if you have the length to close the space that Gobert creates with those screens. Or if you have an athlete that is capable of keeping up with the likes of Donovan Mitchell. And the fascinating thing is, you know, the Lakers, in in my mind, are really the only ones who have that combination that could give the Jazz problems. And because of Anthony Davis's injury because LeBron doesn't seem quite himself. Uh, I, I don't think I'm ready to believe the father time has caught up to LeBron James just yet. But, you know, I thought LeBron would have had a better showing in that game five against Phoenix than he did. So th- he's clearly not right. My point is, if the Lakers are eliminated, I don't see the Suns uh, in a Western Conference final stopping the Jazz. I, I don't know. You know, obviously the next series for the Jazz will either be the Clippers or the Mavericks, I believe. Uh, The Clippers, in theory, have guys like a Paul George and a Kawhi Leonard that could be that, but it's not like they've been able to do that against Luka Doncic. And and if you think Doncic and Mitchell are in the same universe, 
then Mitchell will probably have similar success. I guess my point is when you look at the NBA playoffs, you obviously have uh, in the Eastern Conference the issues with Embiid. One of the Bucks or the Nets is not going to get there because they're going to take out each other. At least one of those teams is going to fall in the next series. I think if I had to take the field or the Jazz in terms of winning the NBA championship right now, I would still take the field because that's just the smarter bet. But the favorite to win the NBA championship right now, in my opinion, guys, has to be the Utah Jazz because I just watched a Grizzlies team who was clearly outmanned and outmatched. Obviously, the Utah Jazz were better. We knew that going in. I had Jazz in six was my official prediction. Uh, A lot of folks had Jazz in four. If you had Jazz in five, obviously, you wound up being correct. Uh, I always thought that Utah would win this series, and it wouldn't go seven. But the way that they won it, and again, Brandon, it's not like the Grizzlies played poorly. Could they have done better defensively? Yeah, I think they could have done better defensively. But, you know, some of those open shots that people were talking about on Twitter and and in this course of the series, it was because of a Gobert screen or it was because of the way that the scheme had been set up by Taylor Jenkins. And there will be times in the future to talk more about, you know, growing points and pieces for the coaching staff and the players. Obviously, GBB will have our player review stuff starting next week. Uh, We'll talk about some of that stuff in our podcast as well. But. Brandon, I think that as as frustrating as it can be to end a series in a season that way, at some point, you have to tip your cap to the Utah Jazz. They are the favorite at this point to win the NBA championship to me. And I did not think that going into this series. So I think that they got better as the series went on. And I think that they opened some eyes because if you actually watch those games, the Grizzlies didn't play poorly. Could they have been played? Could they have played better? Yes. Did they play poorly? No. I would not say they played poorly in that series. The Jazz were just that much better, Brandon. Yeah. No. I mean, I agree. I, I think um, with, with a team as good as Utah is, and with a coach as great as Quinn Snyder is, um, especially on the defensive end, you kind of have to pick and choose what shots you're willing to live with, um, and the shots that you don't. Um, and at times, and you know, particularly games three and four, the Grizzlies were pretty much okay with Royce O'Neal shooting three-point shots. And with Joe Ingles, Bojan Bogdanovich, Donovan Mitchell, and Mike Conley on the floor, you, you kind of are okay with that. Now, Royce O'Neal hit like 80% of his threes in Memphis, so it backfired. But it comes down to the point of, you know, with an offense like that, you kind of have to decide what shots you're willing to live with Um, the same way in game four that the jazz, you know, kind of turned and were willing to let Jaron fire three point attempts. Um, You know, so I think with the way Utah is built, I mean, they're a nightmare defensively for any team. Um, My biggest concern with them going forward is, you know, I mean, the Mavericks don't have as much depth as the Grizzlies, but they have Luka Luka Doncic. Um, So if, you know, the Mavericks, you know, pull out, whether it's in six or seven games, I'm interested to see what Utah does to defend him. And on the flip side, if it's the Clippers, theoretically they have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard who can make things very difficult for Utah. But, you know, I kind of see it to the point you were making, Joe, that, 
the Grizzlies played really well. The Jazz just played better because they're the better team. And I, I kind of think this series was almost kind of the wake-up call to get them in playoff mode, um, help them make some adjustments. And, you know, I, I think if they can get past the second round, they're NBA Finals bound. And I do think that we're going to look back on this series as the one where Utah, I don't want to say it got them the NBA championship because, again, the East, whoever, between the Bucks and the Nets, in my opinion, especially now that Embiid is hurt, between the Bucks and the Nets, that's going to be the team that goes to the NBA Finals out of the East. And I would probably take either of those teams over the Jazz in the Finals because of, the, I mean, the Nets offense is probably the one that is even better than the Utah offense with Harden and Durant and Irving. And then I, I would be fascinated to see a Giannis-led Bucks team finally making the finals, just how motivated uh, Giannis would be in that, in, in that situation. Obviously, having Holiday and, and Middleton by his side certainly helps there. So I think I would take the Eastern team to win. But I think the Jazz are the favorite to come out of the West. And as you alluded to, it's going to be, okay, well, what did they learn from that Grizzlies series? And Parker, I'll bring you back in on this part. I think that a great example of what Brandon just said is the fact that, again, in game five, for the first time, Jaw still had a good game. Jaw was not able to do what he had done the previous four games. Morant was not able to completely and totally have his way with the Jazz defense. They figured out how to limit Morant to the point where when they went on their offensive explosion, Memphis was not able to match as well as they had in the previous four games. And because of that, the game got out of hand quickly. So especially in that first half, they had done enough. Again, Jaw still had a good game and a tremendous series. But they did enough to limit what Memphis wanted to do as compared to those previous four previous four games to put themselves in a spot to close out the Grizzlies in that first half, essentially. And I think that that's a good example of what Brandon was talking about, Parker. The idea that, yeah, their offense was elite, and obviously that is what put them in the position to win the series. But their defensive growth, especially on display in Game 5, showed the ability to adapt and adjust, which Taylor Jenkins still has to improve on and work on. But it also showed that their players are able to execute that. And while the talent is going to improve, as Brandon alluded to, you know, Luca is better than Jaw right now. No offense to Jaw. I don't think that's too offensive. In theory, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are better than Jaw. But again, in, in terms of the playoff series right now, you could probably make a, a pretty compelling argument that Jaw's better than both of them. But in terms of overall body of work, especially Kawhi, uh, Kawhi is better. So as the talent gets better, I still think that the Utah Jazz have shown the ability to take their concepts, apply them, adjust and evolve them, and as a series goes on, takes away, take away what your counter was initially. And that's going to pay dividends for Utah, I think, Parker. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I mean, with last night's game, I think it was more just – gas than anything i think the grizzlies just kind of ran out of juice a little bit on both ends of the floor offensively and defensively uh, i mean you can kind of tell when i mean there's even lapses where dylan brooks was just kind of caught standing on defense like when that's happening you're just out of you're out of gas and uh, i am very interested to see what it looks like for utah going forward just because they let dylan brooks just have his way go wherever wherever he wanted to. How's that going to fare against Luka Doncic 
or Kawhi Leonard or Paul George. So that's going to be fascinating. And at least for Ja, too, he got to learn how to get schemed against in a playoff series where he needs to pick and find his spots. I mean, last night he wasn't really able to get to the floater as much. And I know a lot of them came in the fourth quarter, but he was able to find his rhythm from the outside. Uh, he was still able to make an impact as a facilitator and on the glass. Uh, he tied the team in uh, most rebounds, ironically, with Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, he had eleven. He had 27 points and 11 assists. I'm not going to go out and say that Utah figured out jaw or locked jaw up, but they definitely made it a little bit harder for jaw to get to where he got last night. But I, I will say, too, especially with Jai and Jaron, them two finding their shots in the fourth quarter, I, I like that as like a, I guess, like a tone setter for this offseason to kind of build momentum towards next season for sure. And that's an excellent segue into what we're going to talk about these last five minutes here. We're finishing up on an abbreviated version of GBB Live. Again, there's going to be plenty to discuss in the weeks and months ahead, but this is just kind of a quick reaction to the season for the Memphis Grizzlies ending. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming, at Paca underscore Flocka on Twitter, and our guest, the other uh, wonderful associate editor of GBB, Brandon Abraham, at BC Abraham, uh, putting a bow on this Grizzly season. And again, there'll be much more time to reflect in the weeks and months ahead. It's called running a blog, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's there's going to be some content drawn out over the next few months here. So hopefully you'll stick with GBB as we, you know, finish up this season and move into the next. Uh, you, you, you put a nice little point on the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about on this episode. What comes next? Uh, for me, the most important thing coming out of this, and of course, there's still end of the season availability and you still have to listen to the players talking about, like we learned that Jaw had the injury on his hand uh, in the wake of the Portland exit from the play-in in the bubble. Um, and it's always possible that someone comes out and says, oh, I had actually a slightly torn meniscus and I was playing through it. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if we're using the last injury report as a measuring stick, which is fair, Sean McDermott, a two-way player who may not even be here long-term on that two-way deal after watching him play a little bit this season, uh, he was the only guy on the injury report. Nobody got hurt in last night's game, to the best of my knowledge. Hopefully Mike Conley for the Jazz, of course, former Memphis Grizzly, uh, the Grizzlies icon there at the point guard position, Mike Conley. Uh, hopefully Mike gets healthy for the playoffs because he's important to the Jazz too. Uh, but for the Memphis Grizzlies, nobody got injured, to the best of my knowledge. So... What does that mean? That means that Jaron Jackson Jr. is healthy going into an offseason, which is extremely valuable. That means Justice Winslow, if the team decides to opt into him. And again, we'll talk about offseason choices here uh, in, in the weeks to come. But this last question, I'll start with you, Brandon. What is most important to you coming out of this series? Because again, you covered games three and four for GBB. For me, it's health. The fact that they all are healthy and they're able to go into an offseason where they can prioritize working on their games instead of rehabilitation. That matters more than anything. And I would argue that matters even more than the experience that they gained. That doesn't mean that the experience wasn't important. You know, a lot of people have talked about playoff scars these last 24 hours now, I guess 12 hours since the season ended. Um, in the last day since the season ended, people have talked about that was great experience and valuable experience. And I would agree. But I think that the play-in would have been valuable experience too. 
Like if they had only won the Spurs game and then lost to the Warriors, that still would have been valuable. The fact that they got to the playoffs, it makes it more valuable. But to me, in the long run, taking the long view, like that, Parker, taking the long view of the situation, um, I think to me the fact that they're all healthy and they can prioritize working on their games and they can prioritize – you know, being in shape and in condition for whenever training camp starts because the start of next season is still up in the air. Whenever that comes, uh, I think the fact that they are going to be physically in a position to be at full strength, whatever the Grizzlies decide that looks like in the offseason, because, again, that's up in the air. There's trades that have been floated with the changes in Boston. Does Boston blow it up? Uh, does Memphis decide to throw Brandon Clark, Kyle Anderson, Grayson Allen, DeAnthony Melton, and three first-round picks at Boston for Jalen Brown? If I was Boston and I was interested in blowing it up, that ain't a bad way to blow it up for an all-star caliber player like Jalen Brown. I'm not saying Memphis should do that, but my point is as the landscape of the NBA changes, the Grizzlies are in a position to take advantage of a lot of things. They have a lot of flexibility. So I think the fact that they're healthy enough to have that information on hand, Brandon, is what makes this most valuable coming out of this series. What do you think is the most valuable thing coming out of this five-game series with the Utah Jazz, Brandon? I think it's um, huge for Taylor Jenkins. Um, Kind of on Twitter, um, you you know, I've seen a few takes of people acting like Taylor Jenkins getting outcoached by Quinn Snyder is some sort of knock that Taylor is a bad coach when it's not true. Quinn Snyder's a great coach. Jenkins learned under Snyder, um, and I, be- I believe it was Taylor um, in a pre or post game in games three or four discussed how the Jazz are so good at adjusting to adjustments. Um, so I-, I think these five games is going to give Taylor a ton of film to go back and you know look at himself where he can be better. Um, you know, after game three, I wrote about the you know drop coverage on defense and how it got the Jazz a ton of wide open three-point looks because of those Gobert screens. You know, I think the experience over the last, you know, eight games is going to give Taylor, you know, plenty of things to look at and grow himself because, um, you know, it often gets overlooked that, you know, Jenkins is in his second year as a head coach as well. He's young, you know, so he's, it's not like, you know, we hired a retread coach or, you know, a veteran coach. Like, he's growing with the team as well. And I think this playoff series is – just as important for him as it is the players. And I think he's got, you know, a lot of things to look at, you know, looking at how Utah adjusted to things Memphis did um, to help, you know, scheme one way while also learning how to make adjustments himself. So I think um, the past five games, uh, you know, one include the playing games as well. It's going to be crucial for Taylor Jenkins development just as much as it was for the players. Agreed completely. That was massive for him. And I do think it's important to point out he's 36 years old, second youngest coach in the NBA, head coach in the NBA. I'm 34 years old. So the fact he's two years older than me and he is a head coach in the NBA, first and foremost, makes me feel like I have accomplished very little in my life. But it also uh, makes me appreciate that he has a lot to learn. You know, I, I know that I still have a lot to learn in everything that I do. So I can only imagine at that highest level of professional basketball, he's in the same boat. So he is definitely still in development. Parker, same question to you. What needs or what is your biggest takeaway? And you can include the play in. I think that's fair. These seven games here, five games against the Jazz and then the two play in games against the Spurs and the Warriors. 
I'm going to stick with the brand here. It has to be Dylan Brooks emerging as a big game player. And I think that was the biggest thing you look into going into this playoffs, going into the play-in is, okay, who besides Ja can prove that they are a playoff game player? And, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Stathead right now. The only player that averaged more points in uh, a playoff uh, season, I mean, kind of like a – I mean, granted, sample size is different because you have some series where it was you had seven, you had some years where they went to two or three playoff series games. But Dylan Brooks, the only player that averaged more points than him in a postseason in franchise history is John Morant this year. And out of the guys that averaged 18 or more in the postseason, the only other player to shoot 50% or better from the field is Pal Gasol. And that, I mean, that includes Mark Gasol, Zach Randolph, Mike Conley in 2017. Dylan Brooks put on one hell of a show, but I also think it's going to be big for him too because he got to see what his offense looks like when he's picking and choosing his spots better or seeing what the defense gives him in postseason situations. But also too, I don't want the Utah series to hide that he had a stellar performance defensively this season and really emerged as a stopper. I know it's something you've alluded to, Joe, is finding that guy that will eventually be the guy that stops the likes of Luka Doncic or Brandon Ingram or Donovan Mitchell or Devin Booker down the road. Dylan Brooks has emerged as that guy. I mean, he showed it against DeRozan. He showed it against Curry. But I think also, too, he's able to take that film from that series against Utah where he can identify and say, okay, how do I need to defend guys like Donovan Mitchell better? Because, I mean, I think for Dylan, especially, I mean, with how he showed he could be as an efficient scorer, as a defensive stopper, He's a guy who this season he emerged from a guy that we've always said, okay, he's likely a sixth or seventh man on a next great Grizzlies team or a potential trade chip to a guy where you're saying this is probably like the starting two or three on the next great Grizzlies team. I don't think that's too far to say, right? He's definitely put it more into question than it was eight months ago. That's a fact. And I think that's a great way to, to put a bow on Dylan for now. Again, I'm sure we'll unpack and, and discuss Dylan Brooks and much more uh, in, in the days and weeks and months to come. Uh, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. As always, it's much appreciated. We'll have you back on, of course, down the road. Uh, Brandon did a phenomenal job covering games three and four for us at GBB. Make sure you're checking out his long views from that series. Check out his work as time goes on at BC Abraham. He's a big key component of GBB. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So for Brandon, for Parker, I'm Joe. I want to end on this note. Uh, John Moran is a superstar and I think that that for me is one of the biggest takeaways from this series is that the Memphis Grizzlies have a legitimate number one eventually mentioned in the same breath as a Donovan Mitchell as a Luka Doncic he's in that category he's not there yet in terms of overall impact he has some work to do especially defensively but he is he is legit he is going to be the biggest star that the Grizzlies have ever had. And that is one of the main reasons to be excited for the future. What does that mean for Jaron Jackson Jr.? Can he be the second best player on this team? Can he be the third best player? Where is Dylan Brooks fitting in? They, I think most folks can agree that this team needs some sort of help. How do you get it? Uh, all that's going to be stuff that we can discuss and cover in the days, weeks, and months ahead over at GBB. Hopefully you'll continue to make grizzlybearblues.com and our podcast network on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google, and iHeart.
part of your Memphis Grizzlies fan experience. Thank you so much for sticking with us throughout this entire crazy season. It is much appreciated. Continue to stay with GBB. The work and the grind continues. So again, for Parker, for Brandon, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast.